All right, here we are back at weekly Voyager coverage after a crazy seven weeks. I can't believe how insane the first half of the first season of Star Trek Discovery was. It was so cool! Either that or, oh my god, we have to go back to it. Yeah, we actually have no idea what Star Trek Discovery is like because we record these a few weeks ahead of time and uh, it is still August for us. So, uh, time travel is possible. In about seven weeks, you will hear a random episode in which we're like, oh, so we just saw Discovery for real and it was so cool or it was so stupid. So, you know, it'll be fun. We'll find out. It will find out. We we hope you enjoyed it, though. So, yeah, back to Voyager. Uh, I think that this was a fine week to come back to Voyager on. I was very pleased with both of these episodes. I liked Fair Trade. I didn't like uh, Alter Ego in a way that was very... I, I, I don't know. There, I was yelling at the screen at certain points in that episode. And so uh, I, I will have, I'm looking forward to talking about it. Okay. Well, let's talk about Fair Trade first, which is an episode concept that I think had been floating around for quite a while. Yeah. Uh, they actually, as I understand it, wanted to uh, do this episode before they did Jatrell, which would have been interesting because I think that they kind of have retconned Jatrell out of existence in a way. Uh, uh, I don't know that they really remember that Neelix was like in the military or whatever. That is home. Um, yeah. That his home planet was like invaded by another race and that I don't know what's going on. That but they do mention Talaxian colonies in this episode, so maybe they do. No, no, the Talaxians don't see again, we you know, ne- Neelix had basic was basically a resident of Hiroshima who was out of town at the time that it was bombed, but um we don't see many Talaxians, it's true, especially this far from there, but yeah, it, it doesn't seem like these are psychologically traumatized survivors of a horrible war. No, no. And and some of that, of course, just could be the fact that we're talking about Star Trek Voyager. Yeah. But I don't know. I like this episode a lot more than I remembered liking it. And I think it's a very fine character episode for Neelix, who, uh, interestingly enough, I think that uh, he's probably one of the characters that is getting the most development. Yeah. Aside from the Doctor and Janeway, um, I like Neelix. And- I don't. I get the sense I, that he doesn't really have a great reputation in the fandom. He doesn't, and-, and I think people think he's annoying. But I think that that's part of his charm in a way. Yeah, he's he's, but he's very realistically and sympathetically annoying. He's he's annoying because he's a guy who's been rejected most of his life, and. Once somebody like pays a little attention to him, he's going to do everything for you because you're his friend and he loves you and he's going to cook for you and he's going to help you with this. He's going to take care of this and he's going to do this for you because, you know, and let's talk and let's hang out. And it's like, Felix, just leave me. No, leave me the fuck alone. Like, it, it, it's, yeah, there is a course. I mean, he's a nerd in a lot of ways. There's a core sadness to him. Again, he, he he's clingy. He's really clingy. <laughs> But I can't blame him for that. I can't blame him for that. And I, I think that, well, I mean, the way that I think I want to get into fair trade is we, we've talked a lot about this season of Star Trek Voyager and how it's really transitioned away from the the show that it was in the first two mm. seasons. And they're not really interested in the same sorts of long-term dynamics that the show was interested in, especially in the second season with things like the Kazon arc and Seska and, and, and things like that. And I don't think the word Maquis has been mentioned once this entire oh, season. For oh, example. yeah, you're right. 
Um, they've pretty much gotten rid of that. But I, I think the show is... Voyager has a reputation of not paying attention to itself. And I, I think that's both deserved and not deserved. Mm. Because... And an episode like this is a perfect example of of the not deserved portion of that because I think it's a really interesting concept for Voyager to get far enough away from yeah. the space that Neelix is familiar enough for him to have a mini panic attack about it and to get into a situation that spirals out of control very quickly because he is someone who, like you said, has never really been able to find a place for himself in the world or the the galaxy and he doesn't understand to some degree how Voyager works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is, has been baked into his character. This is something I think I said fairly early on, like, yes, Neelix is extraordinarily well-traveled and he's seen so much, but within a radius around his home world, eventually, you know, and Voyager is going on a 70 year journey and, Neelix has committed to going in this for the long haul, so eventually they're going to go to some new places he's never seen before. He doesn't understand, and I I think they do very well with the concept. I'm glad that they actively addressed this. Yeah, I am too, and I I think that that it it works really well because it I think it speaks to and pays attention to the fact that Neelix is is fundamentally insecure, yeah. and that you know he has certain skills, but. You know, he has sort of I, I think we all know to some degree that Neelix has oversold his abilities as a navigator yeah. and as a as a guide to some degree. But he also shows some skills. And I think that, you know, whatever you want to say about whether or not Voyager needs a cook or whatever you want to say about whether or not Voyager needs an ambassador, uh Voyager you know, Voyager does I think they like him, they like yeah. having him around. And I don't know. This episode sells the concept of the Voyager crew as a family, which I think is something we've talked about yeah. before, as as this is much more of a TNG style approach to to that idea than than DS9 certainly was, because I don't think you would say that the DS9 ensemble was a family uh, or if they were, they were an extremely dysfunctional family that didn't like each other um, to some degree. But. This is very much the idea that, you know, as Janeway says at the end of the episode, Starfleet is a family. We take care of each yeah. other. Uh, you know, it, it, it's it's a little paternalistic or maternalistic, I guess. But I don't know. It works for me. And I think it 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 makes I don't know. It, it does a good job of both remembering that this would eventually happen and dealing with it in one episode and having it be done with, I think. Yeah. I think it's, you know, you, you say, you know, maybe Neelix is overselling his talents. I think everybody on Voyager, Janeway especially, knows that Neelix is probably puffing himself up a little bit. But again, it's true. They don't care. I mean, Janeway, again, in that first episode or so, so anytime she's talking to Neelix, she has this little half smile because she finds him hilarious. She's very charmed by him. And... Uh, that's irrespective of how useful he is. Again, people in the Federation don't love each other because of usefulness. And it's helpful that this is a post-scarcity society in which they can afford to just keep someone around that they just kind of like. And, you know, it doesn't matter if no one really likes his food. At some point, everyone's just going to go to Neelix's to eat because it's where you do. And he's doing his best. And, you know, something Ensign whatever really likes that you know, his morning program. So he could stay. Yeah. But I don't know. It's weird though, because to me, if, if you look at, if you look at how Neelix interacts with the, with the crew, 
I don't think he really has any friends. I mean, it, it is the case that, that he has this relationship with Cass that, that may or may not be over now. I mean, yeah. they haven't really dealt with that aside from her, her breaking up with him in Warlord, which wasn't really her. But he doesn't really seem to have any friends on the crew. I mean, he, he's, he's kind of the confidant. He's, he's, we've gotten scenes with Neelix helping a person out with some good advice, but it doesn't seem like he has any real connections amongst the crew. He's almost a riff of Ga- on Guinan in that way, in that they're both kind of outsiders, but Guinan is somebody who is just so at peace with her own role. Again, as somebody who is as long-lived as she is, she will have strong connections for these people, but uh, but will still stay aside from them, stay outside a little bit. Uh, but Neelix is, ve- yeah. Neelix is very mortal, and the fact that he's outside—I think he wants to be the outside bartender that everybody can come to with their problems, and everybody can listen to, and everybody likes Neelix, but he's playing almost a role in that way, and one which prevents him from— getting actual intimacy with anybody on the crew because he's too busy trying to be that guy because that's that's the only way he feels he will be accepted i don't think neelix believes that the true core of neelix would ever be loved on the ship right and i i think that that comparing him to guinan's actually really interesting and and not something i had had considered before because they they do serve kind of a, a similar role on both ships and and also they're there, I think, primarily because of the relationship that they have with the captain. I mean, let's not forget that that Guinan, you know, she doesn't really seem to have what you would consider friends on the Enterprise, but she she does have a friendship and a relationship with Picard uh, to the point where, you know, they fence together and things like that. Uh, And she feels comfortable showing up in his quarters, where I don't think Neelix and Janeway have that close of a relationship. But it certainly is the case that I think of any of the crew members on the ship, Neelix probably has the closest relationship with Janeway. And he is there, I think, because Janeway wants him there. I I think that... I don't think she would put him off the ship. And I think that if he wanted to leave, she would let him go. But... She doesn't want that. She wants him around, yeah. and I think Neelix, Neelix appreciates that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guinan is on the Enterprise because, again, she needs to do something, and this is the most, you know, this is where she's going to meet the most people, the, the most interesting people, where things are going to happen and where she's going to be useful. And, yes, Picard is a, d- a deeper personal connection to that. If Picard left the ship, Guinan may decide to move elsewhere as well. Yeah, yeah, which you know, I think if if Janeway died or something, yeah. I don't think that that I don't think that Neelix would leave the ship though. Yeah, right? I think he would stay. Um, well, because well, the, but, think, but the other thing is, where else is Neelix to go? That is true. I mean, I think that that's the other part of this episode, which you know, let's talk about it now. Is is Neelix's backstory in a way? And the fact of the matter is, Neelix doesn't have anywhere to go. I mean, if you. If you look at it from a perspective of, I mean, let's let's track it from Detroit, right? Like Neelix was this guy; he had a, a family. Um, they were murdered or killed by the people that invaded Talax, and you know he was in the military, but he wasn't like the best guy. And I also like the fact that the show has tracked his uh, essentially puffing himself up to be more important than he is, because he even did that in Detroit. But and then, of course, once that happened and the Talaxians scattered to the four winds and he kind of escaped, you know, he was really at loose ends and he kind of turned to to, to petty crime in a way to, yeah. to make ends meet. And he's got this guy Wixaban, 
that was his name, right? Weedabix. Weedabix. <laughs> um, that that you know, Wix is, which also made me wonder if Neelix is short for something. But anyway, mm. uh, that that this guy Wix, who they kind of had this relationship with, and they had this sort of criminal enterprise together, and you know, something bad happened, and then of course Neelix decided that I'm, I'm kind of extrapolating. Yeah, yeah, the episode yeah. doesn't make this, uh, you know, make this explicit, but it seems to me that after Wix essentially took the the fall for for what they did uh neelix decided to to turn over a new leaf and 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 try and be a a, you know a traitor or whatever he was at the beginning of the show and i think all that works i think it makes sense and i think it shows why neelix is so desperate to stay on voyager frankly though again to go back to guinan guinan doesn't have a home world either and yet she is somebody who i don't think i mean guinan is somebody who could be in Mark Twain's parlor and be 100% in place. So she, she is somebody who could always, who home is wherever she is, wherever there are people that she can find interesting. Uh, yeah. And Neelix, Voyager is the closest that he has to a home. And I mean, this is a, for Guinan, home is where you are. For Neelix, home is something that needs to be created and is something very precarious too. Something that needs to be, he needs to hang on to. Yeah. It. I mean, it's, it's, you know, like you said, yeah, Guinan is comfortable wherever she goes, but, but Neelix is not, certainly. And he feels like his position is very precarious. And I, I think that that's justifiable. If you look at his, his personal history, that's justifiable. Yeah. I don't think that, you know, certainly as, as the episode makes clear, and I think that's something that we know from watching Star Trek for all of these years is that, characters in star trek do not dispose of people and neelix thinking that okay well i don't have the knowledge anymore because i never went past the necrot expanse and janeway is not going to have a use for me and she's going to tell me to get the fuck off voyager is is more a uh, you know reaction to to what his life had been like prior to voyager and i think that's really the sadness of the episode that you know neelix is fighting against his prior knowledge or his prior experiences he knows he's not doing the right thing but he just gets further and further enmeshed in this because of uh you know his his own protection i think about you know what what patterns of behavior used to protect him no longer protect him but he kind of can't get out of them in a way yeah i mean i i think it's particularly again this is not a tragic episode because janeway is forgiving at the end um but all of the characters have had to level up and develop new skills. I mean, Belana Torres goes from just somebody who's working to the head of engineering. She has to learn discipline and stuff. Tom Paris is somebody who was in prison, who had no life, who had no direction, and got had to get his shit together. Harry Kim had to learn a bit of engineering, you know, and uh, you know maybe that wasn't his original angle, but it's something mm-hmm. he's working on, and he's getting the bridge and stuff. Or look at who, your gr- who's Harry Kim exactly. Or look at your girlfriend or whatever Kess who has you know w- just got on the ship, didn't really have anything to do, but threw herself into. Okay, well I'll figure out some food things, and oh I'll work with the doctor, and I'm going to learn to be a doctor mm-hmm. myself. And you know all of the people around around Neelix have got have found themselves in a position where their old ways don't really work anymore. But Voyager believes that an old dog can new- learn new tricks, and everybody mm-hmm. does. Everybody does 
figure out, well, you know, maybe I have, maybe there is no use for me as I am now, but that doesn't mean that I'm not useless. And this ship has the resources to where I can learn to become useful again. There will be something else I can go into. Yes, maybe nobody really likes Neelix's cooking, but he really just needs to learn to cook for his audience and he can learn to do that. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that I mean, I'm glad you mentioned Tom Paris as well, because I think that 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 scene between him and Neelix is actually really poignant and really touching. Uh, you know, it's something that we don't know a lot about what happened with Tom Paris. We don't know exactly what he did to go to prison. We have some ideas, but it's never really been explicitly stated outright. Something about the Maquis and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I think that. Neelix is obviously trying to reach out. I think that's also why he went to engineering, of course. And Tom Paris is a character that I don't think... I don't know. Tom Paris is a character that, frankly, I don't care about yeah. very much. I don't I don't think he's very interesting. And He's a great, ba- uh, he's a great secondary character that they unfortunately made a primary character. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I just wanted to, to preface this by saying that... Uh, uh, someone said about a previous episode of, of Voyager that we covered um, that one of the reasons why like Harry Kim and Chakotay and Tom Paris uh, don't seem very interesting. And I don't I don't know if this is true. Uh, so I just will say that this was something that was told to me. And it's kind of like, huh, that's interesting that the actors who play those characters were told and directed by somebody, Rick Berman, the network. I don't know to kind of play flatter and flatter and flatter and, and to sort of like not be interesting in their performances huh. uh, for some reason. I don't know. I guess to make the other characters pop more. I don't know if that's true, but it, it could make some kind of uh, uh, sense, I think, in a certain way. is like, okay, these characters aren't popping because they don't want them to. Um, and, and But then, you know, then you have to kind of have to question, like, why are they there? But anyway... Yeah. Uh, but I think Tom Paris is is doing, you know, he's doing a really good. With Robert Duncan McNeil is doing a good job in this episode because, you know, he's he's playing Tom Paris sort of like wistful and kind of yeah. like, wow, I, I really fucked my life up, and uh, it was only through like blind luck essentially that I was able to turn my life around, and it was just one mistake that I made that that I didn't tell the truth and spirals out of control, and Neelix is like, well, fuck. Uh, this is what I'm going through right now, but I can't tell anybody. And he knows he should go to Janeway. Yeah. He knows he should do it, but he just can't bring himself to do it. Yeah, after everything he's seen, after every time someone's gone behind Janeway's back, and again, fucking Tuvok completely disobeyed some major orders and is still on the ship and still completely yeah. trusted. Like, come on, Neelix. But again, Neelix sees himself as so apart that... He feels like, well, ev- you know, everybody else would get forgiven by Janeway, but I wouldn't be because I'm Neelix. Who the fuck am I? Right, right. And then, and then, of course, it spirals out of control as it has yeah. to, and someone essentially gets murdered. Um, Neelix doesn't murder the person, obviously, but I don't know. I One of the things that I appreciate about the episode as well, kind of moving aside from Neelix for a minute, is um, kind of this sense of menace that the Delta Quadrant yeah. has, finally, where... This is a space station that probably wouldn't exist in Federation space or wouldn't exist in Federation space. Uh, It it seems like a one-man operation that is just there to help facilitate trade throughout the Neckard Expanse. And it's a dangerous place. You know, uh, Tom Paris and Chakotay get framed for murder. Well, not framed, but he thinks they murdered the people because he has some sort of circumstantial evidence. 
And I don't know, I just it, it's it's a small part of the episode, but I think it's it's an interesting it gives the episode a grounding and an interesting sense of place that I think a lot of Voyager episodes kind of don't have. Well, we have DS9 seven seasons under our belt, and at this point we had a good three or four. Space stations were a major location category in Star Trek as a result of this, and so necessarily we are uh, we are contrasting this to Deep Space Nine. I am contrasting what's-his-name to Odo in a lot of ways in this, hmm. and— that's interesting because I didn't do that at all, but okay. Yeah, I mean, he's basically the Odo role, and we can. it's interesting because I could see Odo taking this exact thing. Well, I have this mm-hmm. evidence, you know, you're, you're, I'm, I'm going to arrest you if you, but at the same time, he does prove to be reasonable. He does, is willing to, he is still on the side of justice above everything else. I think maybe he is... He's not quite as paranoid as Odo is, and and as a result, he's not quite as diligent. I think he feels like, I've got all this under control, and so much is slipping under. Odo Odo didn't really have problems that way. Odo didn't, you know. Well, Odo Odo didn't have the bone-faced people mafia showing up and dealing drugs right under his nose, so he had a little bit of a, 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 he had a little bit of an advantage there, I think. (laughs) Uh, And he also had more of a staff, probably, than this guy, uh, Barat, does. I want to mention uh, two other things very briefly about this episode, and, and then we can move on to, to Alter Ego, which is that uh, just a nice little attention to detail thing is that Neelix, Neelix calls Tuvok Mr. Vulcan all the time, but in this episode he calls him Mr. Tuvok, I think because he's trying to get something from Tuvok <laughs> and wants, wants to uh, respect him and call him by his actual name. Uh, at first I thought that was just a weird thing that the episode forgot, but no, it turns out it has a point. Um and uh, the other thing I want to mention is uh, one of the things that they need per GM was, do you remember where that's from? No. That was what they were mining on the planet in the Devil in the Dark. Ah. So a nice little callback there. I, I just brief, and this is something that connects to the next episode, Ensign Vork. Is this the first time we've seen him? It is. Okay. Uh I hope he's done. I hope he does more than just make Tom Paris jealous in the next episode. But <laughs> well, let's talk about Vorik. But before we do that, I just want to take a quick opportunity to remind all of you that are loyal listeners of Trek about that it is listener supported. If you would like to uh, give us some money every month, you can go to patreon.com slash trekaboutshow. Check out our reward tiers. We have something like, for example, if you give us $3 a month, you can get early access one week early to each episode of Trekabout. That's kind of interesting. Uh, So please do go to patreon.com slash trekaboutshow and give now. I don't know if they're just simply giving us a back cast member. You know, we'll have somebody else to just be an outside party in the scene, somebody that they just kind of know but isn't a major character. Again, I said Tom Paris is a great secondary character, not a great primary character. That's kind of where Vorik is hitting for me. I don't know mm-hmm. if he's actually going to do anything, if he's he is a Seska character who's going to have a major role in the plot later on, or if they're just, you know, again, we need to have somebody else that they're going out with. We need to fill out a, spa- a, a, a space, but we can't actually give a plot to a major character because that would be awkward, and I don't know. Well, I, I there's a couple things about Vork that I think you might find interesting, so... Uh... When we reveal what we're talking about next week, one of the episode titles may give you some indication of why Vorik was introduced. 
Um, but we'll we'll leave that as a mystery for for twenty or twenty five minutes in the future. Uh, so the actor who plays Vorik previously played a Vulcan in Lower Decks. He played Tarek, the Vulcan. That's why he looks familiar to me. Yep, exactly. I don't know why he doesn't play the same character, but hey, whatever. Uh, yeah, he could have been transferred. Anyway. Yeah, he could have been transferred. Kind of a missed opportunity, but maybe not. Uh, he's also played by Jerry Taylor's son, which probably indicates why they were using him so much. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and the last thing I want to say about Vorik, well, two. I'll say two other things about Vorik. Number one is that... Uh, he can uh, he can cock block Tom Paris all day, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> um, and and kind of make him jealous and and uh, hit on Belana Torres. That's fine with me. And uh, the other thing is that uh, I really wish they would figure out what the fuck they're doing with his hair, <laughs> because I think in this episode he kind of has a Vulcan mullet, a and it's not a good look, like at all. It just looks bad. Poor. And I know that the ship doesn't have. A barber because it's a small ship but um as we just said people on the ship are having to learn new skills they don't have a doctor tom paris be a medic until casquito gets her footing in this harry kim you had took an engineering course in college you've got to uh you know help out in engineering whenever they need an extra set of hands neelix you're learning to cook you know balana get some scissors and learn to do hair I don't think that anyone would want Valana <laughs> to cut their hair. I don't think anyone would want Valana to have scissors that close to their hair. <laughs> no, no, no. She's just like, all right, I'm on it. And then cut to the next scene. And everybody on the ship has her exact haircut. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or they're all dead. Uh, Janeway and Neelix come back to a ship full of blood. And Valana in the corner crying with a pair of scissors. I did just set a little off the top. <laughs> All right. Well, that's uh, season six, shaving a haircut. Um, <laughs> so I, uh, I think that alter ego is much better than it has any right to be. Yeah, I would agree. with And that. it's written by Joe Minoski, so he's two for two. I like this episode, and I think that. Um, well, the way I want to get into this is the Netflix description of this episode, and I think the first fifteen or twenty minutes of the episode. Uh, kind of make you think that this is going to be an episode that is primarily about Harry Kim falling in love with a holodeck yeah. character. And that is not a promising episode for, for anybody in any stretch of the imagination. And then it kind of makes a hard 180 and mm. becomes a completely different episode. And I like that episode a lot more. I would agree with you. Yeah, I mean, I actually wrote in my notes to myself an apology for me right now having to talk about this during the... I, I the actual notice. Oh God, this is what they're doing with Vork. They're making him, you know, be the third wheel. I'm so sorry. You have to watch this, you know. And I'm glad that they don't because that is not interesting. The show isn't really. I don't care. I guess. I, and maybe that's a you don't you don't care about what I don't care about Harry Kim's romantic holodeck misadventures. At least not in, no not in the Nobody way that does. I cared about, for example, Jordy LaForge's holodeck misadventures. Um, I mean, true. I mean, what, what, to be fair, one of those characters is played by Lavar Burton, and so, and yeah. and it and is actually a character too. Yeah, but that too. I don't think that's unfair to point out that again. We, I mean, yeah, 
you you told me a couple episodes ago that the reason Harry Kim is going to stay on the show is because the actor was considered one of the most you know beautiful people, and he is a handsome guy, but he's not not he's not Lavar Burton's caliber of actor. And you know, if the show is going to keep him and give him these kind of plots, well, they have to be better at it, right? Yes, I I would totally agree with that, and I I think that I I can never decide if this episode is making fun of Harry Kim or not. I I kind of feel like it is, but I don't know, and I'm not sure if they would actually do that to the actor. That feels a little dicky to me. But it's it it feels kind of affectionate. I mean, there is everybody recognizes that Harry Kim has a puppy dog crush, and they're treating it like oh, little brother Harry Kim. Like again, this is an episode where Harry Kim is the little brother. And I mean, I think I I really liked the scene where he's talking to Tom Paris and he said, you know, and Paris says, well, look, all of us have fallen in love with a holodeck character at some point or another. And I mean, that rings very true, right? Like every everybody in the real world has, you know, had a crush on an actor or a character in a book or something like that. I mean, people write fans fix about video games, you know, the, you, to have a romantic connection with a fictional character is something is a rite of passage for people and is not necessarily an, an, an unhealthy thing. And of course, it's going to be much stronger if you have a 3D sensory experience around you. I mean, even Catherine Janeway goes to her little uh, Jane Eyre thing and, you know, has her romance with the character. It's it's an outlet. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And I mean... I, I agree with you that I think a lot of the crew does treat Harry Kim as the little brother of the ship. And, you know, that that's, you know, maybe problematic for some reasons, but it, it's fine. I yeah. don't have a problem with it. I, I do think that one of the things that sells me on this episode and why I like it is that, and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying like this is a great episode or anything like in terms of like, is it a classic? No, but it's fine. Uh, is that. Tuvok's exasperation with Harry Kim when he shows up in his quarters. And I don't know, there's something about uh, Tim Russ as Tuvok that I don't know why more people don't talk yeah. about the character. And I don't know why more people don't remember the fact that he's a really, really good character and he's yeah. played very well. I mean, I don't, you know, we can talk about sort of some of the Vulcan stuff in this episode. I don't know if it works that well, but I don't know if I really need a bunch of, you know, Vulcan sounding gobbledygook about their emotions, but whatever. Ah. Um, but I think that like Tim Russ in that moment when, when Harry Kim shows up in his quarters and he's, he's playing Kalto and he's like, I want to be a Vulcan. I want to suppress my emotions. And Tuvok is like, Oh fuck. What now? <laughs> like, you know, it just, but it works really well. I just like, it. listen, Suter died a couple episodes ago. I already dealt with this. I, I don't want to again. <laughs> Um, and in a certain sense, you kind of say like, because we, you know, it, you know, Janeway's even said this once or twice that they don't have a counselor, and it's a shame they don't yeah. have a counselor. And you know, Neelix kind of acts as a sounding board for some of the characters when they're having a problem. And I think in some weird way, like Tuvok is also kind of subbing as a counselor, which he, is kind of strange because I don't know if Vulcans would make great therapists. No, but... I think they would for 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 certain people. I think they would because. I mean, there are different styles of therapy, obviously, but, you know, old school therapy is very, uh, it's a lot colder. I mean, you're not having, you know, think about the old 
style. You're on the couch. You're not really facing your therapist and you're talking. And while certainly newer styles of therapy have supplanted that and been, you know, been more successful, I think a Vulcan therapist who is able to, you know, dispassionately listen to your problems and point out the patterns in your behavior and all of that would actually, like, that's a therapist I would like to try to say. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I think that I don't necessarily want to get into a big discussion yeah, about course. psychotherapy because I don't think either of us is very qualified no, right. to talk about that, frankly. But I don't know. There's a there's a there's an emotional emotions are very important in therapy, and I think that a Vulcan therapist would maybe not be the best because they would not be able to understand the ways in which people's emotional reactions are important or not important. Yeah, and, yeah, of course. Uh, you know, I, I think that... that. Well, there's... I, and again, there's also... You're going to this from a perspective of you're somebody who is living life as just a civilian on, you know, 21st century Earth, and so emotions have a very specific... If you're somebody who is working on a star, on Starfleet and, and looking for more professional counseling and stuff like that... Maybe you do want to be a little less mm-hmm. irrational, you know. Maybe you do, do. You know, how do I be more professional? How do I, how do I gain this discipline? Tuvok would be good for that. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think that that what is what is at the core of yeah. this episode, of course, is Tuvok having an emotional affair with a woman, and I think it's a really interesting concept. Yeah. I think the episode sells it very well the fact that Tuvok does set himself apart that Tuvok you know because the thing about Vulcans is that you can very and this is something that they you know has has been established uh with Vulcans ever since uh, you know Spock is, is that they sort of stand apart and they're you know they can poke fun at them and they kind of think that that humans are weird and you know all that kind of stuff and that's something that has been consistent i think with with tuvok as well now tuvok of course is not half human so he he doesn't have as much to prove as spock of course uh he's also much older than spock um by you know 70 or 80 years so there he's he's a different character and he's a different person but he does still have to work at his control he does still have to he is someone who's never gone through Colinar, for example, right? I mean, I think they said that, or did he go through Colinar? I forget. No, he. Di- I don't think he completed. I don't think he completed it. Yeah, yeah. Colinar is apparently like the uh, I don't know, like law school or something. Um, so, but he then then he gets you know kind of sucked into to, to this woman Morena and. The episode, like I said, makes that hard turn between, okay, here's here's what you think is a sitcom-y episode of Voyager about Harry Kim being in love with a holodeck character, and then it becomes something very different and something very sad. Yeah, I mean, there there is a... God, I, I at no point do you not feel bad for Morena. I don't really feel... You know, even the scene when she's on the holodeck, when she's on the bridge and... It's like I've got the, you know she's a very sad person. Her her loneliness is very obvious. She is doing some bad things, but it's not coming necessarily out of a place of cruelty, but just deep pain. Yeah, I mean she she is someone that that's something that I don't think Star Trek deals with very often is is loneliness and the yeah. fact that that it can be very very disabling even. And I think that in a certain sense there's a there's a core to Tuvok, which the show has played around with, but this episode makes explicit, which is that 
he he keeps himself apart from everybody else, not because he doesn't want to be a part of things, but because that's kind of like how he's constructed yeah. his identity, which in, in in a weird way. And this episode makes it clear that I think Tuvok is taken by surprise at how quickly and deeply he responds to Morena. He really, yeah. really gets sucked into her. And he gets sucked into her because she is very intelligent and he likes talking to her and they play Calto together. And because and it's she all great. gets him. I mean, that scene when she's like, you know, oh, you're not wearing the lay because, and you want everybody to know you're not wearing the lay and everybody knows you're not wearing the lay so that they know that, you know, what you say that like nobody's really been that insightful for Tuvok. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, I think that's right. Which I wonder at, you know, again, he's talking about Vulcans have no emotions. I wonder to which degree Tuvok is overstating that. Vulcans don't lie, but they can certainly, they, they don't have to tell the truth always. And he could. Right, s- I think Spock, Spock, I think Spock said it the best when he said like, yeah, Vulcans don't lie, but they can, they can bend the truth or something like that. Or who, who said that? There were, Forget what character it was. Maybe it was actually I forget Doctor McCoy. Maybe something like I Vulcans don't, don't lie. Who told you that? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think all of what Tuvok says about these emotions is, you know, is what's on the Vulcan website. You know, this is our mission statement. Mm-hmm. This is who we are. Just as the Klingons have this thing of honor and all of that, that, and this is who we are as Klingons. We see in practice that living up to that life of honor all the time is very difficult and most people don't even bother and you know while just putting up the pretense and i mean i think it has been well established in the star trek universe that again vulcans do have emotions they are just suppressing them keeping them as information looking at them analyzing them but not feeling them or at least trying not to feel them and just as data will insist i don't feel emotions uh, that's kind of where Tuvok's protestations come from. I think, I mean, the the ending sequence when he's talking to her and saying, well, you know, you may be lonelier than you realized. You maybe should figure out how to connect with people because this isn't working for you. You know, this being a part in the station, it may have seemed like a great idea at the time and it is important work, but at the same time, you're changing and this isn't enough for you anymore. I mean, he's he's very obviously talking about himself. He is recognizing that he does desperately want to make a connection. He does, mm-hmm. very, you know, the the reason he is standing apart and saying, I feel no emotions is because the other option is to be crushed by how much, for example, he misses his wife and family and home. Yeah, yeah. Because I think that, that you know, Tuvok and, and, and most Falcons are very careful not to use the same sorts of, of words or terminology that that emotional species would use you know he's very careful to say things like you know i appreciate you or whatever you know i mean vulcans don't have friends they have colleagues or associates (laughs) you're like all right you're kind of putting this on a little thick but uh we know vulcans have friends yeah but it is the case that i don't know one of the things that i think is very interesting about vulcans in general and and what this episode makes clear and i think through the character of tuvok because you know that is the case that that Voyager is the the only Star Trek show to to have a, a main cast member who who is a Vulcan uh, since the original series, and this is the show that is developing Vulcans more. You know, the, the the franchise is finally comfortable with that and is coming up with new and interesting ways to do that. And you know, talking about 
Tuvox, how Vulcans experience emotion and how they, you know, deal with their emotion. You know, you say about a, a Vulcan being a therapist and how that might not be a bad thing. And I kind of disagree, but I do think that in a certain way, there is a, there's a similarity to the way Vulcans are dealing with their emotions that is kind of similar to sort of a Buddhist approach to your emotions or even a cognitive behavioral therapy sort of approach to your emotions, which is that you feel emotions, you, you identify them, you experience, you experience them. And, you know, as you examine the emotion, you can sort of look at it and you still experience the emotion and it still affects you, but you can kind of look at it dispassionately and say, okay, I'm, I'm experiencing this emotion. Here's what's happening. I, you know, I have control over it. It does not have control over me. And that's kind of how Vulcans deal with emotions as well. Yeah. I mean, directly the Harry Kim thing where he falls completely in love and, you know, to where not only Tuvok, but everybody on the ship is like, yeah, you're just like totally crushing on her. It's really obvious. You're just, you don't even like sailing. And you're just, I mean, that's something that everybody does when they have their first real crush, right? You take on interests you're not into. You listen to bands you don't like because they listen to them, you know, you, and it is this overwhelming, all consuming thing that drives you crazy. And then as you get older and, You know, maybe you've had some relationships break up. You've had that infatuation love stage a few times. And so when it happens again, you you fall no less in love with a person, but you're able to control it. You're able to, you know, use it positively and use your past experience and knowledge of your own emotions to say, okay, this is how I'm feeling. This is just infatuation. This is just lust or this is something actually real. You get a clarity through it yeah well and this is i mean then this is something that that i grapple with and i think this episode kind of wants to go down that road a little bit but i'm not sure that it is confident enough in its own abilities to do that is is to what degree are the vulk what to what degree is the vulcan approach to emotion bad i mean like because it's not a good thing for people to suppress their emotions and it's not a good thing for people to not know what they're experiencing and what they're feeling. And that is certainly something that can happen. I mean, a lot of people suppress their emotions, men in particular yeah. suppress their emotions and, and, and don't know what they're feeling a lot of the time. And, you know, I remember I had a therapist once who said something very interesting to me, which is that, you know, uh, basically he said he doesn't believe that anger exists as an emotion. Like it's, uh, it's always something else. There, there's always another emotion behind that or like anger is a secondary emotion, right? And I think that's kind of true. And I think that a lot of people experience emotion and they think they're experiencing a certain emotion. They're actually experiencing something else. But to what degree is the Vulcan approach not healthy? You know, I, I don't know. And I think that... Well, I think this episode is saying that there are limits. I mean, this, this is... At, I, there is the part where – I mean Morena again very accurately says, you know, you, you – her metaphor about this wind sailing or whatever you're doing, you know, you have the illusion of control but you know that, you know, the waves are still dangerous and you don't really have control over that. I mean that – again, she's obviously talking about Tuvok who – so far has been portrayed as very sage-like. I mean, think about Kess and Sudar, two very particular success stories of, you know, using Vulcan techniques in order to, and I mean, I think maybe suppressing emotions is 
a bad thing, but to mm-hmm. conquer and to to master them, to control them, to discipline them. And again, both Suter and Kess have used Vulcan discipline in order to curb their worst impulses. And I think it's a positive step in that way. It allowed both of them to grow as people. I think this episode is Tuvok realizing that for all his control and all of his mastery he thinks he has, that's a lot, you know, maybe he has suppressed his emotions and they've come out in ways that aren't necessarily good and aren't necessarily healthy. Yes, he may, you know, I, I think he goes to the, to the Vulcan Jenga date with Morena, you know, when, when Harry Kim, you know, comes in because, you know, I think on the surface he would say, well, we're just playing chess. It's okay. I found somebody, but you know, I don't want to say he's committed a transgression or something, but he's done actions that were for the for reasons other than he thought they were. And if he weren't suppressing his emotions, if he were actually understanding them as he claims to do, he would have known his real reasons were, gee, I actually like this woman. You know, she, she's mm-hmm. somebody I whose company I enjoy. Yeah, I think that's right, because, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, of course, uh, like I said earlier, this is essentially an episode about Tuvok having an emotional affair <laughs> with yeah. a woman who is not his wife. And, you know, it is the, it is the case that I think the show, like, I don't know that Tuvok said to Morena until he was on the space station that he was married and had a wife. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. And I, and I think that that's kind of what it's really getting to fundamentally is is the fact that Tuvok and Morena's relationship was was not not real because the circumstances were were so singular and bizarre and that Tuvok recognizes that it was not healthy and Morena I think also starts to realize that it was not healthy and that you know because on the one hand it's like artificial that she's on the space station by herself and yeah. that she doesn't have any contact with anybody else like that that would drive anybody kind of crazy yeah and you know, Tuvok's suggestion that she should go and she should, in, you know, interact with her own species uh, seems to me to be a good idea. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it would honestly, it would be much better if there were two other people, one or two other people with her, you know, and certainly she could say, well, you know, I'm on the ship with my brother. And so, you know, I don't have a romance or an sister and I don't have a romantic connection to either of them. OK, fine. But you now, yeah. And, and I think she's somebody who doesn't understand her own emotions either. She goes to Tuvok and she falls in love with Tuvok, but I think that's an expression of her just wanting to fall in love with, in a way, the first person who's who's decent and can carry on a halfway good conversation comes along. You know, obviously Harry Kim was, you know, a little too much of a, of a kid, but I wonder if Tuvok hadn't, you know, interceded and hadn't met her and she hadn't been charmed by Tuvok, if she had spent the entire episode just with Harry Kim, if she wouldn't have been begun to feel these feelings for him. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I think that that's kind of the weird thing about the episode is that Tuvok reacts to Marina because he is lonely too. And he puts himself apart and he doesn't let himself really get involved in the ship. But yeah, I think for Marina's part, at least, I think she probably would latch on to pretty much anybody. Yeah. Uh, just because she is lonely. And that the two characters are, two, Tuvok and Marina I'm talking about, are, are reacting to themselves in very different ways. And I don't know that the way that Marina reacts to 
Harry Kim is necessarily as believable. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's, you know, he has this puppy dog crush on her. And if she spent more time with him and got, and realized she was going to lose him, I think she would, you know, I, I think she would be making that speech at the end about, you know, you're just so kind and innocent and loving and enthusiastic and stuff, which is, you know, as opposed to praising Tuvok's intelligence and logic and his you know, singularness and all of that. I, I, again, I think she just is seeing what she wants to see in people and at the end recognizing that she wants to see that when her whole life she said, I don't care. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. And also I'm sure Tuvok has a good butt. Well, you know, he's got a, I don't know. <laughs> you, 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 at one point, listeners, er, when Eric was watching Voyager before we uh, I think we were on TNG at that point even. Um, he sent me a screenshot shot of a shirtless Tuvok and said, this is what you have to look forward to. So we know where Eric's bread is buttered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's it for... Chakotay is Eagle. my Voyager dreamboat. Oh, okay. I can, I'll, I'll go with that. He's, he's a good looking Well, I, I, I would say Robbie Beltran is my Voyager dreamboat more than Chakotay, but that's... Because I assume Robert Beltran has a personality. You might want to look up a picture of him now. Is it bad? No. Oh. No, it's it's very much the opposite. Hang on. Robert Beltran nude. <laughs> I don't think you're going to find anything. All right. Hurry this podcast up. I got stuff to look. Oh, hello, daddy. All right, well, I think that's it for this episode of Trek About. If you have any thoughts on either of the episodes of Star Trek Voyager we just talked about, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trekaboutshow.com. As mentioned earlier, you can give us a little bit of your hard-earned money by going to patreon.com slash trekaboutshow. It also supports our other podcast tuning in. This week, we are discussing the X-Files episodes Wet Wired and Talitha Kumai. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Trek About Show is there. Truck About Show is our username in all those places. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for Truck About. It is the best way for new people to find the show. Next week, we continue Voyager by talking about Coda and Blood Fever.